17. Go ahead and turn there with us this morning. And let me say once again, I do appreciate you coming. I know not everybody could be here today because of the weather. And I encourage many folks stay home if that bad weather was between them and, and here. But I appreciate you coming by the simple fact that you could. And it had been easy to use as an excuse, even though that uh, you had an opportunity. And I appreciate you coming. and pray the Lord will bless. And I pray that you've been praying for the service this morning. Acts chapter number 17, when you find it, let's stand together in honor of the reading of God's Word. And I'm going to read down through a very familiar passage. I'm going to read several verses, so stick with me. I'll try to read quickly, and we'll pray and let you be seated. Acts chapter number 17. The Bible says in verse number 16, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him, when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him. And some says, what will this babbler say? Others, others, others some, he seemeth to be setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection." And they took him and brought him unto Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is. For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know, therefore, what these things mean. Watch verse 21. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For I passed by and beheld your devotions. I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you for your word. I thank you for what we just read. And I pray, Father, you would help us as we preach the message that you've sent. Lord, I pray our hearts are already open. I pray, Father, we're confessed up, and Lord, we're right with you that we would not, Lord, be hindered in hearing what you'd have us to have, and I pray we would receive it. I pray you'd be glorified through what we do, and I pray lost would be saved today. I pray the saved would be drawn closer in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you very much. <clears throat> I was going up uh, north on I-59 uh, the other day and um, noticed several vehicles, storm vehicles headed south. I saw a rescue boat, I believe, coming down from Madison County, heading down, I think it was on uh, Thursday, headed down uh, in advance of the storm arriving. Uh, oftentimes, you will see a lot of these help vehicles, these uh, restoration vehicles, these rescue vehicles headed down. Uh, I've see, even seen mobile shower units where they take down showers for people that have been, uh, d their homes have been destroyed. And I saw the Red Cross heading down there. And uh, to be honest with you, my heart is always encouraged uh, when I see humanity helping out humanity. Uh, we see a lot of uh, selfishness in the world we live in today, people unwilling uh, to reach out and help one another. And it was a blessing to be able to see people already headed down toward the coast, Gulfport, down to New Orleans, Baton Rouge area, uh, to, uh, to respond to the need really before the need uh, ever got there. And I was thinking about that as I was going down the road, thinking about the Apostle Paul and what the Lord had given us to preach for this morning and how this is exactly what the Apostle Paul did in the passage that we just read. The Apostle Paul, the Bible says in verse number 16 that he saw a need that the city was wholly given to idolatry. So here's Paul. He sees a need. He sees a crisis. To be honest with you, the crisis that Athens was going through is worse than any hurricane that will ever hit the United States of America. 
As a matter of fact, we are dealing with this same problem in America today, and as bad as the damage from this storm will be, the damage of idolatry is wreaking havoc all over America. I know we don't worship these little gods and these little statues. I have one back in my office. A missionary gave it to me several years ago. It was a, a, a god made out of clay that was formed by uh, some folks down in the mission field where they were at. But, you know, we have idols all the same in our life today. It could be our money. It could be our job. It could be possessions. It could even be ourself this morning. But we have idols because an idol is anything that we put in the place that God should be occupying. That exalted position in our life, that position that everything else revolves around that, that's idolatry. And Paul saw that. And just as those men and women were driving down to the coast to go meet this need head on, this is exactly what the Apostle Paul did in verse number 16. He saw this need of idolatry, and the Bible says the city was wholly given over to it. Now, folks, we, we don't have a perfect town that we live in here, and I don't know that I've ever lived in a perfect town. I don't know if you'll ever find one, but it's a pretty nice town we have here, and good folks, and it's hard to find, uh, it's hard to find uh, bad folks. I mean, I've yet to have anybody cuss me out or throw anything at me uh, that I know of. You know, people may be having a voodoo doll back there in the back or something like that, but at least to my face, they haven't done it just yet. The Bible says this town was wholly given to idolatry. Now, here's what's interesting. When the Apostle Paul went to confront this need, what I notice is what he began to focus on. Paul, the Bible says, he goes to Mars Hill. They take him to this place, and he begins to tell them about the unknown God. He began to tell them about what they were missing. Now, a lot of times, I believe we see problems, and we see what people are dealing with, and we have problems, and this person has this problem, and they're dealing with this, but can I tell you, the fact that they're dealing with idolatry is simply a reflection of what they were doing without. Now, let this sink in just for a moment. The presence of idolatry in Athens was the result of the absence of God. All right? Idolatry came second in the absence of the presence of God. Oftentimes, I think we have a mistake and we make a mistake in trying to treat the symptoms of sin rather than the root of the problem. We see all that's going on in, our America, in America and we're dealing with this and we're dealing with that, but so much of what we're dealing with is a direct result of what we're doing without, and that's God. The reason this city was wholly given over to idolatry is because there was an absence of God. And don't be surprised when idolatry springs up when there's an absence of God. It's kind of like light and darkness. You know, darkness really has no power of itself. Darkness simply, simply fills the void in the absence of light. Darkness will always fill the void where the light is, is absent. And we look at the country we live in today. And we look at how dark things are getting today and how sad the sad state of our country is morally and spiritually today. And we're thinking, boy, the powers of darkness are just so strong. Can I tell you, the powers of darkness only have the power that is seated to them in the absence of light. It's getting dark because our lights are not shining like they should. Now, I think we need to go back to, uh, to elementary Sunday school class and learn this little light of mine again. Listen, we're living in a place and a time in the world today where our light doesn't need to be little, it needs to be big. Because the darkness has, has invaded the space where light once occupied. The root of the problem is what's missing. That's the root of the problem. 
We look at all of this and all, you know, I talk to folks often, try to deal with folks' problems, and they're dealing with this and they're dealing with that. So much of what folks deal with today in way of problems is simply evidence of what they're doing without. You get God where he needs to be in your home. You get God where he needs to be in your life. You get God where he needs to be in in this country. You'll be amazed at how much we're not dealing with anymore. But we deal with them in the absence of God and what we're doing without. Several years ago, we were standing in the office there at our church in Louisiana, and we have a camera in the office where they count the offering. And uh, I walked into there, and the camera's up in the right corner uh, of the office, and uh, the screen where the, the monitors for all of the security cameras is in that office as well. So I am standing looking at the screen, and I can see the camera that is pointing at the back of my head. And my wife is sitting there. I says, what is on the back of my head? Because I can see something white looking, shiny, looking on the back of my head. I'm no joke. That's my wife. This is exactly what she said. I says, what is on my head? She says, that's just it. It's nothing. <laughs> I, did, I never look at the back of my head, Brother Cardi. I never see it, okay? And now I'm looking on the screen, and that camera's pointing to the back of my head, and, and now I can see it, and I says, what's the problem back there? What's, what, what is on my head? She said, that's the problem. There's nothing on your head. I got some shampoo. We're working on that. I'm hoping it's going to grow back, but uh, who knows? We get some miracle grower spray paint one way or the other, but here, here's the deal. The problem is what's not there. <laughs> That's what the problem was. I wasn't seeing something on my head. I was seeing nothing on my head. That was the very problem, and we look at the country we live in today. We look at families today. We look at just the individual lives of, of people today, and the problem is not what they have. It's what they're missing. Talk to people all the time. Well, these folks got problems, and these folks are dealing with this, and these folks are dealing with that. Can I tell you this morning, their greatest problem they have is not what they have, it's what they're missing. In this city of Athens, they were dealing with idolatry, wholly given over to it. I'm talking about terminal spiritual cancer, idolatry. And it was a direct result of what they were missing. I believe this morning, I want you to get this thought before we get into the message, so much of what we deal with is a direct result of what we do without. So much of what we're dealing with is merely a symptom of what we're doing without, and it's God in his rightful place in our lives. I don't care if it's your marriage. I don't care if it's your life. I don't care if it's a city. I don't care if it's a country. So much of what we deal with in ways of difficulty and trouble is a direct result that God is not in his rightful place in our respective areas. Give an example. Psalms 9, the Bible tells us that the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Now watch this. The wicked shall be turned into hell. Now watch close. The Bible says that the wicked are going to have to deal with hell. They're going to have to deal with that. Why? Because they did without God. You see that? What they're going to deal with is a direct result of what they did without. And I see in so many homes today, in so many lives today, listen, not just our country that's lost, but in Christians' lives. They deal with so much because they're doing without God in his rightful place. So this morning, we don't want to treat the symptoms. Let's treat the problem. I woke up this morning, I told Sunday school class, not feeling well. I'm not sure if... uh, I'm not sure if just all the energy that I expelled being the cowboy uh, did that to me this week. It didn't feel well, and uh, my head wasn't feeling well. I was running a little bit of fever, and, uh, you know, I got a Kleenex kind of to blow my nose, but a Kleenex just treats the symptom of the problem. 
It's not going to fix the problem. I fear this morning that the church is just passing out Kleenexes. We're trying to help people fix what they're dealing with rather than give them what they're doing without. If we would just give people what they're doing without, you'll be amazed at the stuff they will not have to deal with. So this morning we see Paul in Acts chapter 17. Here's what he's doing. He's making the case for what's missing. Paul goes to this place, this city wholly given to idolatry. He hits the need head on, and rather than treat the symptom, he treats the root, and the root was they were missing out on God. And this morning, I want to make the case for what's missing in our lives as well. I believe so much of what we deal with is a direct result of what we're doing without. And Paul gives us four evidences how to know if we're doing without this morning. And so if you would look back up to verse number 16. Bible says Paul's spirit was stirred within him, saw the city wholly given over to idolatry, and goes on down. The Bible says he begins to dispute with them. He goes to them. Now, he's not just arguing. He's going to try to convince them and help them understand what they're missing. Now, here's what's amazing. The Bible says in verse 21, for all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear something new. In verse number 21, we see the first evidence that they were missing something, and it may be the evidence that we are missing what matters in our life. And you notice, number one, they were driven by dissatisfaction. They were driven by dissatisfaction. The Bible says they spent all of their time seeking out something new. And oh, my soul, I I see the world we live in today. I'm not talking about just the lost people. I'm talking about saved people this morning, and we're much like the Athenians. We are constantly seeking out something new. We're seeking out a new high that we can live on. We've got to have a new thing. We've got to hear about a new something. We've got to go to a new place to keep us on that level of high that we need. Then I'll tell you this morning, somebody who's always got to have that continual high is evidence of someone that's missing what matters most in their life. Because I'll tell you, there's been times in my life where I'm just sitting there in the recliner and I'm having a good old time talking with God. There's times in my life I'm sitting on the side of a deer stand and I'm not doing the most exciting thing in the world, but my relationship with God is what gives me that fulfillment and contentment that you'll find nowhere else. Paul says there's something wrong, there's something missing, and it's evidenced by your your drive for satisfaction. Notice he says here they always sought out something new. 2 Timothy describes this for us in verse number 3 of the Bible says, or chapter 3, verse number 7, they're ever learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. They're people who are constantly seeking and I've got to have that, that next thing in my life that keeps me going. Can I tell you, if it's not God, you will look the rest of your life. If you can't get God in his rightful place in your life and in your home and in this country, we will always be seeking to find that fulfillment in something else. Paul says, I'll help you treat this problem by pointing out that you're driven by dissatisfaction. If you... uh, a few months ago, we were in uh, California for my daughter's birthday and took her to Disneyland for a couple of days, and I got our picture made with the Mad Hatter. I don't know if you remember who that is. Some of you are going to have to reach really far back to remember who that is, but he's the guy in the goofy hat at the tea party of Alice in Wonderland. And uh, we got our picture with him, and I was thinking about him when I read verse 21. The Mad Hatter, you're sitting there at the table having tea, and about just the time you get settled down... And you get sat down to enjoy your cup of tea, it's pick up, move down, pick up, move down. 
And poor old Alice is sitting there trying to get something to drink and trying to have some uh, jam on her bread. And about the time she gets settled down, it's pick up, move down, pick up, move down, on to the next seat. Boy, I think we've got a lot of Mad Hatter Christians this morning. We can't stay settled very long. We can't get rooted and grounded very long to produce any fruit. I'll tell you this morning, if you can't get rooted and grounded, do not expect to produce fruit. Eventually, you'll kill the whole tree itself. But you get to the place where God is the center of your life and God has his rightful place in your life and replace all of those things that you're trying to replace God with, with God, you will find a fulfillment and a contentment that you've never found. I found in pastoring that people are very busy uh, trying to get people. I used to hear my dad say this, Dr. Miller. He said uh, people are like, uh, like herding chickens. I've never done that before. But just my imagining what it would be like to herd chickens is a lot like pastoring sometimes. It's hard to get people settled in one place and to put down roots for very long. I found out that people are very busy, but here's what I did find out about, about people. We're not busy because we have necessities. I mean, people today, we're always going somewhere. We're always doing something. We're always signing up for something new. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to try this and participate with that. I don't believe people are driven by necessity. I believe we're driven by dissatisfaction. We've got to constantly find that next level of satisfaction. This is not doing it for me anymore. I've got to step my game up with something else. When if God just had his rightful place in your life, if God had his rightful place in your home, if God had his rightful place in this country, you would find you didn't need all of that other stuff. You didn't have to go from high to high to high. That's why these, I call them hippie churches, to be honest with you. I don't know what the proper name is for them, but they've got to constantly be changing things up, bringing in a louder, peppier music, smoke, and lights. I've been wondering, Brother Heath, when are we going to get some smoke up here? I mean, you know, the preacher walks out, smoke comes out. What are they doing? They're trying to keep the people up because there's no spirit to do it. That's the problem. We've got to keep pumping our people up and giving them something, all of this stuff. When if God just had his rightful place in your life, you would find a fulfillment that you've never known. But you can tell this morning, not only in the lost world, but in the church today, that something's missing because people are driven by dissatisfaction. We see this in Luke chapter 12, verse 18. The Bible says that the rich man, he says, I, he had all these goods, much goods for many years. And the Bible says, I will tear down my barns. I'm going to build bigger barns. One thing my dad told me years ago, I was serving at his church at the end of a dirt road in Jeff Davis County, Mississippi. And Jeff Davis County is not known as one of the great metropolises of this fair state that we live in. And I remember telling my dad, saying, Dad, if I was at a bigger church, I was his youth pastor. I was probably 22 years old. If I was at a bigger church, I could do more. And, Dad, if I just, if we had more kids, I could do more. And, Dad, if we just had a bigger budget, I could do more. And, oh, man, I just realized how ignorant I was, to be honest with you. And Dad says, if you can't do it here, you won't do it there. He says, you've got to learn to do it here. And then you'll do it there. Because it's not about the capability, it's about the character. If you can learn to do it here, then you'll do it there. Can I tell you something? You can find peace and contentment exactly where you're at. If it's in the dirt road in Podunk, Jeff Davis County, Mississippi. If God is in his rightful place of your life. You don't have to go look for it somewhere else. 
You're not going to have to go find the, the next high, man. You know, I hear people all the time, I go to that church because I like their music, and I go to that church, you know, because I like the program. Look, nothing wrong with good music, nothing wrong with a good program, but you ought to go because that's where the Holy Spirit of God led you to go. And you want to be in the center of God's will, and God has his rightful place in your life because when you're in the center of God's will, there's a contentment like you've never known. I have friends who've, who've upped and moved to Africa to become missionaries. I had friends who up and moved to Russia to become missionaries, and they're just happy about it. They're just happy about it. There's some of these missionaries, they're in war-torn areas, and they're excited about it. I'm thinking, what is wrong with you? What is wrong with these people? They're going to a communist area, and they're excited about it because that's the center of the will of God for their life. That's the only place you'll find satisfaction. Or else you're left with doing what the Athenians do, always telling or hearing something new. I want you to think about Job real quickly this morning. Job had it all and praised God. Job lost it all and praised God. Why? Because Job's contentment was not in the things, it was in God. See, the reason that Job was able to maintain his life and his testimony through a trial and a time of weakness and a time of, of trouble, it's because that Job had God in his rightful place in his life, and as long as God wasn't going anywhere, Job wasn't either. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have a testimony like Job's? Wouldn't it be wonderful to have a testimony like the Apostle Paul where Philippians chapter 4, he said, I have found whatever state that I am in to be content. Why? Because God has his rightful place in his life. I'd love to get to this place in my life, and I'll be honest with you, somewhere that I'm striving for, where Romans chapter 12, the Bible says that we live a life acceptable unto God. Where living my life, the decisions I make and what I do, is simply because I want to please my Father. So number one, this morning we notice Paul's trying to help them with their problem by helping them understand that the root of it is an absence of God, and they're missing what they're looking for. And you could tell that by, number one, they were driven by dissatisfaction. I'll tell you this before I give you number two. I read this neat story the other day about a man who was sitting uh, propped up against his boat on the shore of, uh, of one of the Great Lakes, I believe it was. And uh, this rich entrepreneur comes through, and he says to the man, he says, uh, what are you doing here in the middle of the day, taking a nap? He says, well, I've caught as many fish as I need for the day. I've got enough for my family to eat, and I've sold some and made some money, and so now I'm just taking a nap. He says, well, why don't you get back in the boat and go catch some more fish? He says, what for? He says, well, if I go, you go catch more fish, you can make more money. He says, what am I going to do with more money? He says, well, then you'd be able to have more free time. He says, what am I going to do with more free time? He says, you better to rest and take naps. He says, what do you think I'm doing now? He had found contentment with what he had. Didn't have to have the bigger and better barns all the time. He'd found contentment with where he's at. I'll tell you something this morning. You can be dirt poor, living at the end of a dirt road in a rented camper trailer. And you can have contentment if God is his rightful place of your life. But this morning, I believe you can see so often the lives of Christians that God is not where he belongs. And you can tell that by our constant state of dissatisfaction. We've got to go from high to high to high. We've got to go out and charge things that we do not need, get into debt that we do not need, and we can no longer serve God because we're paying for things to give us a momentary high when God could have done that all along. I wonder this morning, is there something missing in your life? Or look, so well, I'm saved. I've got God in my life. But is he in his rightful place? 
Because until God is in his rightful place of your life, you're not going to find the contentment that you're looking for. So number one, they were driven by dissatisfaction. Let's look down, if we could, I think verse number, uh, verse number 22. Verse number 22, we'll find the next evidence, if we could. Paul's trying to make the case for what's missing in their life. He says, you're driven by dissatisfaction. Verse 22, he says here, you men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you're too superstitious. Now, when you look that up, basically, here's what he's saying. You're overly concerned with things that do not matter. See, here's what the Athenians would do. They would go to Mars Hill, Areopagus, that was there. And when they would hear something new, a new doctrine, something that they had not heard before, they would bring it before all of them so they could all hear it, and then they would vote on it. They would vote to accept that, whether they were going to embrace that new doctrine that they had heard. And so every time a new doctrine would pop off, they would embrace it. Now, why did they do that? It's because they were looking for what they were missing. I got to find something else. I got to find something else. So they were so open-minded, they became scatterbrained. This is exactly what they were doing. They were so open-minded to whatever doctrine came along because they were trying to fill the evidence, I mean, trying to fill that void that they had accepted just about everything. Number two, the second evidence that Paul gives them that there's something missing is they were overcome with open-mindedness. They were overcome with open-mindedness. Now listen to me. Open-mindedness is not always bad. If your wife wants to go out and eat at a restaurant you don't want to go out to eat at, it's okay to be open-minded about that. And if your wife wants a gray couch without a recliner in it, when you want one that does have a recliner in it, it's okay to be open-minded about that and, uh, and go along with what she wants because you love her and you want her to be happy. Amen? And I'm um, glad I got that off my chest. I feel better about that now. <laughs> I felt like that was quenching the spirit, but I got it better. and we're, we're okay. But can I tell you something this morning? Your mind should be closed to anything that conflicts with the Word of God. Now, this, look, we've got this thing called tolerance. Really, really uh, it's a catchphrase nowadays, tolerance. We've got to be tolerant. We've got to tolerate. Look, and I will tolerate a lot. I will tolerate. If you put onions on my burger uh, at McDonald's, I'll eat it. I'll eat it. You know, I will choke it down. I will not enjoy it, but I will eat it. Uh, if you mess up my order and, you know, you give me a, a, a Coke rather than a Diet Coke, I will drink it. I don't mind tolerating things like that, but when it comes to the things that conflict with the Word of God, we are not to be open-minded. Can I tell you why so many of us this morning are missing God and His rightful place in our life is because there's no room for God amongst all that we have accepted already. The world pops up with a new, new idea of what is right, and in, they are rewriting the rules of morality. The world is totally rewriting this thing. We are rewriting gender. We are rewriting marriage. We are rewriting life, and we just accept that. Folks, listen to me this morning. The reason things are so topsy-turvy and we're dealing with so much in our country is because we're doing without God in his rightful place. And the reason God is not in his rightful place is because we're accepting every doctrine that comes along in the name of open-mindedness. I'm just being honest with you this morning, folks. I know this probably is not going to make a lot of friends, but when it comes down to it, the Word of God's got to be right. Remember when I was candidating here, I was running from the candidacy here. We'll put it that way. Me and Brother, Brother Jeff Benham were on the phone one day, and 
I told him, I said, Brother Jeff, I said, look. I said, you know, there's some things that, that you, you're preaching and you don't make a whole lot of friends. I remember Brother Jeff, I said in my driveway, he says, look, if the Lord calls you to Central, you're not coming here to make friends. So blame it on him, okay? He gave me, the, he gave me the, the right of the way to be mean, okay? No, I don't plan on being mean, but when the Word of God says it, the Word of God says it. What am I supposed to do with it? You know, I told folks sometimes, you think it's easy for a pastor to get up and preach and get up and just spit all over these brave people in the front row and get out and just throw swords at everybody, but what you don't realize is there's a sword to the back of the pastor, and it's called the Word of God. And I either have to deal with him or I have to deal with you. And I would rather you smile. I really would. But in the end, I want to make him happy. We've got to preach the whole counsel of God. And I'll tell you, the reason we've lost so many of our churches, I'm talking about good Bible preaching Baptist churches in America, is because we started for the sake of open-mindedness, welcoming things that took the place of God. That's why our churches, are, we're losing them. That's why churches don't even know what they believe anymore, because we've been so open-minded and we've accepted all of these new doctrines that have propped up. Proverbs 19, which is in the Bible, so I'm going to preach it. Verse 27, the Bible says, cease, my son, to hear instruction that causeth thee to err. Cease, my son, from hearing instruction that causeth thee to err. There's some things we do not have to be open-minded about. You can actually be closed-minded, and for once your wife would be right about you. You are closed-minded. I'm closed-minded when it comes to the things of God. I'm sorry. No, I'm not sorry. I'm closed-minded. Why? Because when God said it, God meant it, and he hasn't changed his mind on it. So if, God, look, if God's not changing his mind on it, then I better not change my mind on it. Now, here's what's interesting about Mars Hill. Do some study about Mars Hill, Areopagus, and you'll find out before a doctrine could be condemned, they had to vote on it. They had to vote on it. Before we could say something negative about this new doctrine, we had to vote on it. That is why Socrates, you know, the philosopher that lived back in that day, this is why he was condemned. Because he openly challenged a doctrine on Mars Hill. He didn't have permission to do that. Hear me out. You look at Christians today, we are hogtied. We don't speak up. We don't cry out. We're afraid to condemn what God condemns because the world is not giving us the permission to do it. You can tell this morning that we look to the world. Can we, can we say that? Are we allowed to condemn what God... Well, look, folks, I try to be a nice guy and I try to tolerate as much as I can, but there are plenty of stories in here that didn't turn out very well of people who tolerated what God says condemn. I mean, we see it all through. Look, we see the children of Israel. God says, do not tolerate the heathen. Don't tolerate them. But the Bible says, listen close, instead of wiping them out, they were mingled among the heathen. Read it in Psalms. They learned their works. It goes on to say, listen close, they sacrificed their children. Why? Because they tolerated what God says condemn. Folks, I believe too, too many of us. Now look. I don't go out to hurt people's feelings on purpose. I really don't. I know you're thinking, you are lying to us. No, I really don't go, go out to hurt people's feelings. I don't like to. I hate, look, I hate getting those texts that say, can we talk? I know it's coming, man. They want to meet and we'll talk and then we'll sit over there. And we'll, well, you know, I just disagree with you. Look, that's fine. We, we can disagree. But look, I'm not disagreeing with this book. 
You can disagree with me, but I'm not disagreeing with this book. If it says it, it says it. And the reason we're dealing with what we're dealing with is because for too long we've done without God in his rightful place. And the reason God does not have his rightful place in America, in our homes, and in your life, it's because we've accepted all of this other stuff that the world has put its stamp of approval on. There's no room for God there because we've, we've, we've uh, welcomed all of these false things. That verse 21 says these new things that have come up. You find in Scripture that God is not as open-minded as the news on CNN would have you think. You read throughout Scripture when Saul disobeyed God in making the sacrifice, God took the kingdom from him. God is just so closed-minded You'll see that when Adam and Eve broke the law of God in the garden, that God banished them from the garden. Why? Because he's closed-minded. He means what he says. And I want you to know we're doing this world a great disservice by acting like God fudges on the rules. We are. We're doing this world a great disservice by not preaching the whole counsel of God because he has not changed. Yes, there's mercy. Yes, there's grace. But you can send away your days of grace. And the mercy can run out. Number two, we see the evidence that something was missing is they were overcome with open-mindedness. The third thing I want you to see, look look back up to verse 18. Here's what happens when you start accepting all of the new things, the new doctrines, the new idea, that conflict with the Word of God. Verse 18, the Bible says, Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him. So here's what happens. These people walk up and they hear Paul preaching. The Bible says this, and some says, what will this babbler say? Now, this is what's interesting. They said he's a setter forth of strange gods because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. So here's what happened. They had accepted so much false doctrine That when the truth was preached, the Bible says it was a strange God, and they called him a babbler. Number three, the third evidence that something may be missing in your life is you're conflicted with confusion. They were conflicted with confusion. You see, they had accepted so much faults that when the truth was preached and hit them in the face, they didn't even recognize it. They didn't recognize it. The one thing that breaks my heart, and I'm not joking, but I'm serious. How many Christians you will take just basic scripture and share with them, and they look at you like, like that dog when he cocks his head looking at you? And I go back to make sure that I read that correctly. I say, yeah, I read that correctly. And they're like, I know, but those I know buts will get you. I know, but I know, but nothing. When he preached the truth, the Bible says he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods. I believe you can see many a Christian in that scenario today. We've been going to these churches that do not preach the whole counsel of God. They pre- Look, I love preaching on love and I love preaching on grace. I mean, I love preaching on grace. But there's a whole lot more in here aside from grace that needs to be preached And folks will come and they'll visit a church where the whole counsel of God is preached and all of a sudden they look at me and they're like, that's a babbler. That's what they did with Paul. But Paul was simply preaching the truth. 
The reason most Christians this morning, I've seen this a million times. The reason most of us have a conflict with the truth is because the truth conflicts with what we've already accepted. I can't accept that, and I can't receive that because I've already received this, and they conflict one with another, and I would rather have this one because this one lets me live the way I want to live. And so one of them's got to go. You can't accept both of them because they conflict each other. It's like walking in the spirit and walking in the flesh. The Bible says you can't do the things you would. One of them is going to take control. So the Bible says when he preached truth, they thought something was strange. Kind of reminds you what 2 Timothy tells us where the Bible says that there'll come a time, I believe we're there, they'll not endure sound doctrine. Don't want to hear that. I love preaching on grace. love preaching on love. But sooner or later, we've got to preach some doctrine. And that doctrine has got to be the truth. But the conflict is simply this. One will cost you the other. You see, to embrace the one and only true God would come at the cost of all of the other gods. They had to pick one. You can't have the one true almighty God and have these over here. God's not going to cohabitate with wickedness. He's not going to do it. We see that in the Old Testament when the Philistines brought the ark of God, which represented the presence of God, and they brought it into their temple in front of their god, Dagon. They went in there in the morning and found Dagon falling over on his face. Why? What is God saying? I'm not going to share space. <laughs> not share the space with that guy. Don't know what he looked like, but he was probably ugly, you know? God says, I'm not staying in here with him. Next morning they come back, they put the statue back up, they put the presence of God, the ark of God's there. Dagon was knocked down, and now he's busted up. So not only did God knock him down, now he put a whooping on him. He says, no, I'm not going to share a space with this false God. And can I tell you, it's the same today. Either we're going to have all of God or none of him. And we've chosen all of these other things that cannot satisfy and they cannot deliver. So what do we do? What do we do? Well, we do exactly what Paul was doing. You see, the way that you resolve conflict is with truth. Truth resolves conflict. Is that not what Judge Judy and all those other guys on television do? I ain't seen her in years. They try to get down to the truth of the matter, right? Let's find out what the truth is. You know, you, you kicked my dog and you spray painted my cat and all this. All right, let's find out exactly what's going on. And get down to the truth of the matter because the truth will resolve the conflict. Folks, in the end, can I tell you what will resolve the conflict of where God belongs in our life is just the truth of the word of God. Let the truth of the word of God settle the dispute within our heart and the conflict within our heart of what we believe. Why don't we let God decide that? The Bible says that you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Oh man, these guys at Athens, they would have been so freed up, had such liberty if they just accepted the truth. And by the way, the Bible tells us that the church is supposed to be the pillar and the ground of truth. Do you know what this place is supposed to be? This is supposed to be the place in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, where people can come and hear the truth. When they come, I hope they hear great music. It's wonderful. That special this morning, I like to come unglued. I know you couldn't tell it, but I was, I was about to get there. I almost wanted to stop at the end of the special and just start preaching right then. I just didn't know if I could do that yet, Brother Heath. I hadn't been here long enough to know if I can do that yet. So we're kind of working into that. 
I hope they hear good singing. I hope their kids go hear a good Sunday school lesson. I hope their kids get to enjoy a wonderful God-centered youth department. But at the very least, they're supposed to come to this place and hear the truth. I mean, folks, look. If we are no longer the pillar and the ground of truth, there is no hope for this town. Somebody has got to say, look, it says what it says. I mean, well, I'm just being honest with you. There are times I'm reading through here and I'm like, whoo, can't preach on that one. Because people frown at me. God says, back it up, buddy. Are you sure? Oh, man, are you sure? Yeah. Why? Because we need the truth. Because the truth is how we cut through the conflict. I was at a, at a uh, store the other day. I'm, I'm fixing to give you the last. There's four this morning, okay? So don't get excited if we're into three. There's four, okay? So just buckle up and hang on. It's raining outside. You need to be safe anyway on the roads. I was at a store the other day and had a $20 bill, and I paid for something. And the lady took out one of those pens and marked my dollar. I'm just going to be honest with you. That hurts my feelings a little bit because I'm thinking, do I just look like a guy? You know, I look like a guy who's going to give you fake money. But she took out that pen. And I'm, I'm always kind of panicked looking at it, hoping it's right, you know, because I, I didn't make it. My wife may have made it, but I didn't make it. <laughs> but here's what she did. She said, this pen, when you take this pen and you mark on a counterfeit bill, it'll turn brown, I believe it is. This pen will help you sift through the fakes. And I thought to myself, I said, that pen's a lot like truth. It shows you what's right. It shows you what's real. It shows you what you can keep and what you can get rid of. And that pen's kind of like the Word of God. Man, we get all of these strange ideas and new doctrines and stuff floating around today. You ought to put it all on the table, take the pen of the Word of God and mark every one of them. If it shows up brown, you better chunk it quick. Because the truth has declared it to be false. This has got to be how we decide what we believe. Not how we feel. Good night. Look, I'm I'm a touchy-feely guy. I cry on some movies sometimes. You know, I see a poor little kitten on the side of the road stranded. I cry sometimes about that. I don't mind being touchy-feely, but in the end, we need the truth. So number three, they were conflicted by confusion. Last thing, verse 23, I'll give you a short one and we'll be done. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. The last bit of evidence, number four this morning, that there was something missing was they were unaware of the unknown. They were unaware of the unknown. The saddest thing about the world we live in today, and many Christians as well, is we really don't even know what we're missing. The Bible says they just had this God set up there just in case they miss one. To the unknown God, whom therefore ye eagerly worship, Paul says, I declare him unto you. The Bible tells us about the church of Laodicea which you can see a lot of similarities to the church in America today. The Bible says that that church of Laodicea will say, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. We've got it all together. God says, you're poor, wretched, miserable, blind, and naked. He tells them, thou knowest not. He said that you knowest not that you're all of these things. You think you're this, and you don't even know what you're missing. In the church, I believe we're there today. We're people, we don't even know what we're missing anymore because we've embraced so much of what the world has approved for us to believe. The world voted on it. Television decided it was good, and this is how God thinks. 
The woman at the well, she sat there speaking with Christ. And as they go back and forth speaking with each other, Jesus says to her, if thou knewest, if you just knew who you were talking to and what I had to offer you, if you only knew, oh, you would ask for it. I believe we're kind of like the woman at the well. We, we don't know what we're missing by having God in his rightful place. My prayer this morning, look, I think we have a wonderful church here. But I believe, look, folks, oftentimes God, if he's in our life, he's not in the rightful place of our life. And you can tell it because we're not satisfied. You can tell it because we're so open-minded. Whatever the world says, we kind of go along with it. You can just tell that we're unaware of what we're missing by God being in his rightful place. And my prayer this morning is that God would stir our desire and our appetite a little bit for what we're missing. That's what Paul was doing. He went up. Look, he was not being mean. He said, you need to know what you're missing. And you get a hunger for what you're missing and what only God could do. Oh, what a blessing it is to find lost people anymore who are looking for something and have the privilege to share Christ with them and help them realize this is what you've been looking for your whole life. And they find it. I believe the reason Zacchaeus climbed the tree is because he was missing something. I really do. I believe the reason Nicodemus came by night is because he was missing something. I believe the woman with the issue of blood who fought through the crowd to get to Jesus, she did that because she was missing something that only God could give. Now, folks, I just wanted to ask you a simple question. Is something missing today? Is God in your life, number one, are you saved? Because I assure you, there is nowhere in this world that you will find something to take the place that only Christ can. And then number two, if he's in your life, is he in his rightful place? Because it seems like so much of the church today is just as dissatisfied as the world. We ought to be given the example of exactly what it means to have a Christ-centered life. I'll give you this, Colossians 2, listen close. The Bible says Colossians chapter 2, verse number 10, and ye are complete in him. You know what complete is? It means nothing missing. The Bible says you are complete in him. It means the only way you will find completeness and contentment and being fulfilled is in him. That's it. Look, that's not just for the lost. Yes, it's for the lost. That's for the saved as well. Sometimes we think that Christ was for salvation only. No, in him you find it. You find peace and joy and contentment and power and victory in him. There's no need to go looking anywhere else. To whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? There's nowhere else to go. Years ago in Africa, the diamond boom hit, and everybody wanted to become rich by mining diamonds. There's a young man by the name of Lamar who had a nice family farm, not getting rich, but a nice family farm, and did well on the, dime, the, uh, the farm there raising, uh, I think it was camels, if I'm not mistaken. The story goes on that the diamond bug got a hold of Lamar so bad that he put up his farm, mortgaged his farm, sold his farm to go out in search of a diamond mine. He searched for years and years, true story, searched for years and years looking for the diamond mine and never found anything that really amounted to anything. But the gentleman who bought his farm went down to water the camels one day and saw something in the bottom of the little spring where he fed and watered the camels, something shiny there in the bottom of the water. Picked it up and looked at it. It was a beautiful rock. Took it to a gemologist or whoever they had then, and they confirmed it was a diamond. 
We later go, go, go on to find out one of the largest diamond mines in all of Africa was right there on Lamar's farm all along. He sold everything to go out looking for what he had right there all along. This morning, I want you to know if you've got Christ, you've got everything you will ever need. But I fear this morning we have a generation of Christians who are selling out everything to go after something they will never find when they had it right all along. So number one, do you have Christ in your life if you died right now? Are you sure you're going to heaven? Because I assure you, look, you can quit looking out, out there in the world. You're not going to find it, but you'll find it in Christ. You're complete in him. You can find what you're missing in Christ. You can find what you're missing this morning. But I fear we have a lot of safe people today who are leaving behind God to go find what they think they'll find in things and bigger and better barns. I want to encourage you this morning, get Christ where he belongs in your life. Get him back in his rightful place in your life and you'll find you have no need for all of those other gods because you have the only one that matters. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.